Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effect on the markets. The content that will be discussed is intended for information and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or investment recommendation. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you are prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now on to the podcast. Hello, guys, and welcome back for another episode of the Digest and Invest podcast. I'm Sam North, the trading school lead here at eToro. And as usual, I'm joined by Josh Gilbert. Josh, how are you? Good, thanks, Sam. Yeah, good to, good to be here as always. Good, a happy birthday for yesterday. Um, it is our pleasure to, to be joined today by a very special guest. We have uh, eToro popular investor Eloise Grief with us, who boasts over 160,000 followers. 21,000 copiers, uh, and with her copiers, they have over $48 million under management, which is fantastic. Born in Cape Town, South Africa, now living here in the UK. It is absolutely awesome to have you on this podcast today. Hello, Elise. How are you? Yeah. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, great to be here. I love your show. And yeah, happy birthday for yesterday, Josh. Josh, uh, I'm looking forward to the podcast today. Full, uh, full disclaimer there, we didn't pay you to say that you love uh, Digest and Invest. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> first question for, for us today. Um, so people that are listening to, to the podcast can either search your name on the username search bar, uh, which is Ruby MZA, or obviously they can type in your name as well. Um, and they can read a little bit about your style of investing. But for our listeners right now, if you were to give us a quick summary, what would it be? Yeah, so my portfolio strategy really focuses on global equities, looking at the long-term future growth, five to 10 years. And the individual positions in the portfolio are based on a combination of fundamental analysis combined with proprietary machine learning algorithms, uh, given my background, to help understand unique market patterns. Uh, And the positions, the aim of the portfolio is really to have positions which are diversified across different asset classes and different geographies to to spread the risk uh, while maximizing the returns. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that you, you sold me there. <laughs> so yeah, very solid. Um, and, I, and we will we'll cover a little bit more about that as we as we go through. Um, speaking to you, you previously prior to uh, this podcast, you've mentioned how passionate you are about getting more women into finance investing. I know Toro are putting something on towards the back end of the year and you're, you're part of that, which is fantastic. It's going to be such a good initiative. What, first of all, sort of gave you the motivation to pursue it yourself? Um, well, a combination of things, really. I, I love the way that you framed this question, because even though I've been talking about it like a lot recently, it's the way you framed it really got me thinking uh, about my deep reflections recently about this exact topic. And it wasn't until I recently read The Psychology of Money by Morgan Husserl, which kind of put all the pieces together for me. And in his book, he describes how basically 
what we have to understand about money is that nobody's crazy and that um, like right from the macro level, the times that we're living in kind of influence the way we see money right down to the communities we find ourselves in up to like, you know, the household level that you're growing up in and your your view of money will be totally different to mine josh will have a totally different idea of like where money fits in for example if you grew up um, with a lot of inflation your view of inflation will be different to somebody who grew up like a few years after you um, and so it I, I didn't really realize that this was always in my subconscious um, but just to put, put my own background a bit in, in perspective, I grew up in South Africa, which by all means is a standard conventional patriarchal society. Uh, and within that, I grew up in the Afrikaans community, which at the time was a very traditional and conservative kind of culture. So those two things compounded really set me up to have a strong lens um, through which I saw the world working. And of course, that's not really how the world works. It's just how my little corner of the world was working. Um, but within that, I was really fortunate to have a set of parents who were really slight misfits of their time, like uh, my mom had or, or has a very successful career of her own. Uh, and conversely, my dad feels quite comfortable in his identity uh, and doing things which are you know, traditionally quite feminine tasks. Uh, and this really like created this dissonance within me about what I thought society was expecting from women and what I saw as a firsthand experience of what could be done by a woman, uh, especially like by my own mother. Um, and so like she was really strict about money. Um, she was yeah, very, very diligent with it. Uh, but one important thing she taught us was that money has some kind of a value, which is just not the numbers on the coins and the notes. And I didn't quite understand this until much later. It wasn't until I came to Oxford and I started studying in a totally different like surrounding, different society, different peers from all over the world, um, where people had like totally different views of, of money. And that's when I started to understand that money has some kind of intrinsic value, which can give you control. Um, and if we then talk about financial freedom, it's really what I've come to realize as the final frontier for liberating individuals to make their own decisions and to reach a state of true equality. Um, so yeah, if we want to talk about equality, that's, that's really where we need to start. And as, as women, we, we get a few steps, right? Like uh, I think I was reading that women, even though they have 20% less um, in earnings, we tend to have a much higher savings rate and retirement rate contribution. So we're getting a few things right, but then that's where we kind of stop. And that's where I was as well, because we, we reached that point, but then we don't take that next step. And we all know that just saving is not enough. Like investing is really the way to, to make your money grow. And when women do it, they're actually quite good at it. Like there's, there's some other studies that show that female investors earn up to 1% more than their male counterparts, um, which really can com compound over a long period of time. Um, so yeah, just 
kind of that was the, the real kind of clinching point for me where I understood that it was really difficult to take that first step and to have the courage to take that first step. And even after taking that first step for a long time, continue to second guess myself. You know, like I remember in the first six months of being on eToro, every time my balance dipped into the red, I would just like question my own sanity. Oh, what, what have I done? What, have I, what am I doing? So yeah, it's really just my own experience. I'm sorry, that's a really long answer to your question. But I think kind of setting the tone of what has led me to this point is quite important to understand um, why I feel so passionate about it. It's interesting, Henry, you said there about obviously your sort of your mum took the more dominant role in, in your home life. And very similar to, to myself, actually, my mum sort of was the, the the controller of the money, if you like, in, in my house. But uh, she sort of missed that step of investing. She was just she looked after all the money. She was very good at saving, but she sort of didn't do the other side of it and, and just sort of she doesn't really know how to invest and I think that's probably the the next step as you say you know having that a dominance but then actually moving into the next step and I think for her it's always been um really daunting to sort of take that next step um so it's you know it's great to have sort of the the rise of of people like yourself you know in finance to to make people see that it, you know, everyone can sort of do it and I think that leads on to the next question quite nicely and I think if you could sort of go back in time, let's say you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it might be, and you could have a sort of a chat with yourself about investing. Um, you mentioned there about when your balance was dropping into the red, but what sort of advice would you give yourself? Um, and you can't say Bitcoin um, or buy Bitcoin <laughs> because everybody says that. So something else other than buy Bitcoin. Well, I did have Bitcoin five years ago, so I have no regrets on <laughs> there that. There you go. <laughs> um, but I'm going to cheat a bit on, on answering your question, and I'm actually going to go back 10 years because um, we, we skipped that part, but I joined eToro five years ago. So, like, no regrets there. I made it onto the platform. Um, but if I could go a bit further back, um, it would really be to kind of tell myself that I should have the courage to take the first step because there was a big lag between me understanding, like you're just saying, the importance of moving from saving to investing, but then actually taking action on understanding that and taking the risk in doing that. Yeah, there was there was quite a big lag in me taking that first uh, leap and giving it a go. And um, what I've come to understand is like the old adage, like, you know, it's nothing new, but when when it comes to investing like time is really your biggest weapon to veer off like volatility to just like compound interest all the kind of really basic basic things about investing which I understood like I under intellectually like I understood them when I looked at the numbers on the page it made sense to me um, but I was waiting for this like magical amount of money that I need to save up first uh, before I could could get in or you're waiting for this like extra bit of money that will come before you have money to put aside for investing um so yeah it would just be to to prioritize myself and to pay myself first and to put that money away yeah perfect so i think from the from the intro we sort of had a good idea of of sort of you know who you are and if anybody reads your bio as well they can probably understand that you, you sort of got quite a bit going on in your life as well as looking after 48 million dollars <laughs> um so i thought it'd be a nice question to sort of ask what a standard day looks like for for heloise and, and sort of what you do with day to day and you know obviously trading days and uh um, and, and what you sort of get up to yeah so 
no two days are are the same for me. So those who know my background know that uh, in addition to being a popular investor, I also have a full-time job as a um, data science or machine learning uh, researcher at the University of Oxford. Uh, but one thing that's been really important for me is just to try and be rigid about my day and have some kind of framework where I make sure that I can make time for like both the fun things and the boring things because I was really good at doing only the fun things. <laughs> so my day usually starts with um, exercise and meditation. That's really important. Sport has always been a part of my life. And um, yeah, I do try and, and make time for that because it, it really helps me just focus my my energy uh, and usually mornings are quite good for me to have a blocked time for some uh, creative work whether that's like doing research or just like yeah thinking about different ideas uh, and then after lunch I'll usually take my dog for a long walk along uh, in Oxford which is again like just something that I I enjoy and I think it's really important to kind of just you know kickstart the afternoon um, yeah, and I, I usually then just come back in time for the US markets to open, which is obviously the afternoon in the UK. Um, but yeah, my afternoons are then just kind of routine tasks, like I have a bit of run of the mill things I do, a few like data points that I check. Um, and I think probably like more obscure about my week is, yeah, is my week, like my week is quite flexible. So I'll often work on weekends uh, and take weekdays off. Um, so I kind of tend to work when inspiration hits. Yeah, I, 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 I found, and, and Josh, you could probably testify to this, certainly when we, we had Yoni on, and I found it with a lot of people uh, in sort of the investing world, they give themselves a period in the morning where they do block their calendar out. And it's just, you know, you focus on yourself and you do your own prep. And I, I, I try to do the same, even if it's just before like a webinar just to give myself, you know, time to get up to date with everything, do my own research and, you know, just, just relax a bit. I think it's super important. Um, you're, you're super passionate about financial literacy amongst all age groups and that there should be freely available information for all. And I, I completely agree with that. How come you feel so animated about that? And, and how do you yourself sort of look to inspire others? Yeah, so I think this really relates quite strongly to my previous point on supporting women and other minority groups to get into investing. Um, I think it's particularly crucial for people growing up in developing countries like myself. Um, if we concluded that financial freedom is the final frontier for independence and equality, um, that's obviously like a very high level and idealistic goal. Um, but then the engineer in me kind of wants to take a step back and ask what are the crucial elements that are required for us to make progress towards that goal? Um, and I think the number one thing is financial literacy. It's something which our education systems uh, around the world have let people down in teaching them the key skills and making sure that people really understand um, the importance of the key elements of personal finance. Um, so uh, specifically when you grow up in a developing country, I think you have these expectations about opportunities or, or actually the lack of opportunities because of the environment that you're in. But 
um, that's all changed with the internet and that's all like barriers which have been taken away. If we look at the democratization of information on the internet, we no longer really live in a world where it's an advantage to have access to information. Um, as long as you have a smartphone and an internet connection, you really have the world of information at your finger points. I think what's become more important is making sure that we have the ability to assimilate and apply that information in a useful manner because like we all know, not everything on the internet is true or verified or necessarily useful or even applicable to you. So, yeah, sometimes it just requires a bit of wading through that to make sure that um, you can actually use that information and apply it in a way that will be um, impactful for you. So I really hope that my example um, can be, uh, you know, an example for many others. And by being candid about the challenges that I faced along the way, um, that could help others to kind of look at their own situations. Of course, like it's it'll be different for everyone, um, but just to realize that whatever you might want to attain is really at your fingertips, um, as long as you're able to prioritize that um, above other things in your life. What an answer. Fantastic. Really uh, insightful there. Thank you very much. And I'm sure our listeners will, will find that very useful. Um, the, the beauty of trading, investing is that there are so many different ways to do it. And whether that sort of be developing one's own edge uh, or, or whatever. Um, Josh and I will, will probably have different ways of, of doing it. And actually, maybe, Josh, that's a session we can do, actually, myself and you, where we can talk about our ways of doing it and criticise each other's one, no doubt. Um, um, but I'm sure, obviously, you just from speaking to your process before, you, you have a different one to us also. Before getting into that position, what is the what the nuts and bolts? What are the process? Yeah, so as a data scientist, before even getting to the process, I think I have to give a disclaimer about the inherent biases that I might have in my decision-making process. Because I think even if you and I were to follow the exact same process, we come at it from different angles, we come at it with different biases. And so for me in the investing process, that's really my lens of kind of approaching the decision point using all of my own experiences leading up to that point. And I really love making connections between unrelated events. Um, so for example, when I was in university, uh, I studied engineering undergraduate degree and I was absolutely obsessed with studying biology, a totally unrelated field and learning how engineering solutions could be applied to replicate um, those processes. Now today that's a field called biomimicry, but it's a tangible example of making those connections. Um, so yeah, when it comes to investing, I really like to draw on a lot of different ideas. Like I, I rely quite heavily on reading philosophy, history, um, reading quite widely and letting that kind of just simmer and sit in my mind when I you know, sit down to start the process. So in terms of the actual practical steps of the process to make the decision, um, I use fundamental analysis and that's largely assisted by um, natural language processing, which is a machine learning technique that allows us to find patterns in um, 
text data. So that can help me to identify target sectors or companies that I should be focusing on. Um, so by just processing large amounts of data, I can pick up um, yeah, trends or words or like things that are being repeated themes that come out of there. Um, another data point I use is the hive mind analysis, which I've been quoted for before. So that's looking for cultural trends captured specifically in social media data. The eToro, um, you know, eToro is a great place for that because it's like um, a group of people who are talking about something that you're interested in. Um, and once that's all done, once I flag the sector or the company that I should look at, I use um, proprietary machine learning algorithms, which I developed a few years back to do the technical analysis. So that can help with identifying entry or exit points. Um, but ultimately I'd say all of those things are a single input and I, I still have the ultimate decision-making power for deciding whether or not to make a specific investment. Um, so a good example would be, you know, like when the pandemic started, I think a lot of people were focusing on pharmaceutical industry, thinking that the vaccines would be like driving a lot of profits in that industry. So I, I picked that up because of, of the kind of monitoring I was doing. Um, but yeah, my fundamental analysis just, uh, sorry, my technical analysis just didn't line up with my portfolio risk appetite. And so uh, I've just thankfully stayed away from from those so yeah that's, that's one example so i might just follow on from that and um talk a little bit maybe about sort of the research i think you, you spoke a little bit about the process and probably the research that you do do as well um but a question i do like to ask you know copy traders um or just pop, you know successful investors is, is where do you go for that information and is there you know specific data points that you do like to use so you know price to earnings ratios or you know in terms of that research, just give us a little bit more information about where you, you know, sort of go for that information and what kind of research sort of, you know, goes into, into picking those investments. Yeah, like we just said, the internet is such a kind of rabbit hole um, for information. So you can really um, go as wide or as deep as you want down one of those holes. Um, but yeah, perhaps a mix of, without stereotyping myself too much, a mix of me being a woman and a scientist, I do like to gather a lot of data points before I make uh, an informed decision. Um, so one of the but data points, uh, as I mentioned, I like to use a mixture of social data, whether that's from Twitter or eToro. So just picking up on, on like actual word trends that are coming out to understand some of the more futuristic cultural trends that are coming up. Um, my fundamental analysis tends to, yeah, just look at company reports and other insights. Um, and I usually start by assessing all the freely available data. So whatever I can find on the internet through my process. Um, and I absolutely love looking at opposing views. So if, if there's like one outlook which is really bullish about a certain stock and there's one which is quite bearish, I would kind of hone in on those discrepancies because I think the truth is always... Um, somewhere in the middle. Um, and then a bit more practically, I think through eToro, the PIs have access to some subscription services where um, we get supplied with data and insights that aren't necessarily freely available. So I do uh, like to take those into account as well. Perfect. 
So the next question is probably a good time for a, maybe a little sales pitch. Me and Sam have, have sort of done this a few times in the past regarding other assets, but this is a time for for you now, Louise. And rather than you know, or you know, other than the the sort of going into the fifth year, I should say of, of profit, which is uh, is very successful, going heading into the end of the year with only a few months left, coming into the last of the three months of the year. So if you close that out with the fifth year in a row of profit, uh, which is is extremely, extremely rare, so very well done there. Um, but other than your very successful track record, why should somebody copy you? Mm. Well, as an engineer, I'm clearly like a bad salesperson, but let me have a go at it. Um, I think my portfolio is really well suited for anyone who's willing to take a kind of patient and long-term view, uh, looking for risk-adjusted returns, as you were just saying, like making sure that, um, yeah, my historical performance is obviously no guarantee of the future, but my aim is really to outperform uh, my benchmark, the S&P, and to do so with as little kind of volatility in the portfolio as possible. So I try to minimize the drawdown um, and just to make sure that I have incremental gains um, over a long period of time in the ultimate object of having my own passive income uh, on my way to financial freedom. So if you want to be part of that process and join me, then uh, yeah, you should copy my portfolio. That was very good, Heloise. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> Have I convinced you to copy it? That's that's the real that's like, the main question, clincher. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this this is a question that we're going to ask everyone, but you're you're up first for this question, so no pressure. Um, what is the definition for you of being a successful investor? Yeah, so I really love this question, and I probably like spent uh, a lot of time thinking about it recently, especially like as uh, Josh mentioned, I'm going into my fifth year um, of being in profit. I think for me, um, yeah, obviously being being a popular investor has like challenged me a lot in reflecting uh, and growing. Um, But I would say a successful investor is someone who remains humbled by the process and the journey because I really think the surest way of failing is when you become arrogant or complacent and specifically about relying on the history to predict the future, Uh, both like, you know, uh, factual history, as well as your own experiences of the world. Um, And the pandemic, I think, in the last 18 months have been such a critical reminder of that. You know, Voltaire sums it up quite well when he says, History never repeats itself. Man always does. And history can really be a bit misleading when we look at the future of economy and the stock market, um, because it doesn't take into account the structural changes and the innovations that are happening in today's world. So, yeah, for me, it's just um, someone who can who can remain humble in their search for attaining their goals, whatever that might be, whether it is to to make a massive profit or or whatever your goal is, it's just to to be humble about the process. 
I'll tell you what, that is going to take some beating, that answer. <laughs> that is going to take some beating. Um, we've, got a, we've got a couple of minutes left, so I thought we'd, we'd finish up with a little word association game. Um, so if I were to say Tesla, you could say Elon Musk. I mean, you can say more than one word if, if, if you want. Um, but we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine words. So it'd be interesting just to get your 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 phrase your your comments on each one so up first and and you haven't seen these so uh you know this could go one way or the other um, <laughs> this is gonna be first, fun <laughs> yeah yeah first up eToro trust and transparency love that risky investment unacceptable great answer happy place family bitcoin future undervalued opportunity diversification critical cape town home oxford um intellectual stimulation love that science to finish up um guidance Fantastic. Well, look, Louise. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the next PI is going to have a right little... or wrong one. <laughs> yeah. gonna, they've got so much to live up to. It. Look, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on. I've I've enjoyed all the answers. And, and Josh, I imagine you have as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great, great episode for sure. Fantastic. Yeah, well, thanks so much, both of you, for having me. It was really, um, it was really a good opportunity to just sit down and chat to both of you i love your show so i was really excited when uh, i got an invite fantastic fantastic well that means a lot for us as well we'll uh, we'll get this up and running and, and guys that are, are still listening thank you very much for for joining of course you can find more uh, about eToro if you visit the eToro academy webinars guides uh, all sorts up there so please do check that out uh, from me and josh thank you very much and heloise thank you so much for joining You've been listening to Digest and Invest from eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.